Welcome to The Operate, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. Folks, we have a very interesting show today on a topic that we don't cover that often. Today we're going to be speaking with Brett Bevel and we're going to be talking about his latest book, Healing Racism Within, A Lightworker's Guide. I met Brett back when he was promoting his uh, Wizard's Guide to Healing Energy and you can actually listen to the podcast on this network. And then I went over and I met him for his talk at East West Books and we gave great hugs to each other and he brought up something a little bit about race and I was like, hmm, okay, but you know, we quickly let it go. He did a great um presentation and then later through the years we talked about um racism and you know the spiritual aspect if you will the energy aspect if you will and he's put out this wonderful book um a light worker's guide uh to healing the uh, racism within actually that's kind of backwards but um if you're struggling with this concept or if you think racism doesn't exist this is a book for you to read it's a quick read um, now, full disclosure, I was one of the people who endorsed it, so I'm very honored that he uh, asked me to do that. But this book will help you heal what you may not even know that you need to heal. So we're going to delve into it more in a moment, but I just wanted to get that out there for now. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question. Are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a client, as a spirit, not a client, but a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and what I offer, go to my website, and that's MoniqueChapman.com. And I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. My guest today, Reiki Master Brett Bevel, is the author of several books, including The Psychic Reiki and Reiki for Spiritual Healing. He teaches regularly at a premier holistic venues, including the Omega Institute in New York, and Healing Racism Within, Brett shares insights that were essential to his personal transformation, along with haunting stories from his childhood, including trauma, sexual abuse, and growing up within a racist community. And you can check him out on his website at brettbevel.com for um, everything that he offers. He's written many books, all of them equally well with helping people heal. And again, the website is brettbevel.com, and that's B-R-E-T-T-B-E-B-E-L-L.com. Welcome back, Brett. Thank you for having me, Monique. Always a pleasure to be on your show. 
Oh, it's always great to have you. Um, healing racism within a life worker's guide. Why and why now? Yeah, so it, it feels to me that something I've really noticed in the in the energy healing world is one, how incredibly powerful the tools are. Uh, you know, when I look at my own story and the things that I've moved through, uh, even just regarding my, my story around sexual abuse, uh -huh. the, the tools are very powerful. And I've often wondered, you know, not just energy healing, but all the techniques that I see at, at places like Omega Institute and Grappalo and Esalen, these amazing ways to kind of shape shift the way that we're wired energetically and in our minds why not also start to address issues around race with that? Because my belief is that, you know, racism is not just something that is embedded uh, in the legal structure and in the organizational structures around our, our country and in our world, but it's also something that lives at the cellular level. It's something that lives uh -huh. in our auric field. It's something that lives in our energy body. So why not address that uh, energetically? And also from my own story, I know the power that these tools can bring in terms of healing my own life with regards to my own racist conditioning. And certainly the events of the past year or two have shown us how much yeah, these yeah. wounds are still with us in this country. Yes, it does. And I want you to, let's go back to way back in the beginning. Let's talk about your childhood and how that shaped your views regarding race. Sure. So, I mean, I, I lived in a very uh, traumatic background. Um, <laughs> You know, to be just very blunt about it, I was born into a family of, of murderers and pedophiles, and they were, they were also racist. And I, I witnessed a race-based murder when I was a child. I also was often sent on fishing trips with my father's friend, who would often brag about having uh, murdered a young Black boy many, many years before. Uh, so that's the environment that I, okay. that I grew up in. And um, in my own healing process, from healing from my own sexual abuse issues, I really began to notice how similar the patterns were in terms of in the family systems, how there was this sense of silence around abuse. Don't talk about okay. the abuse. Don't. And I started to notice how in society as a whole, that there's very similar patterns around issues around race, that we're discouraged from really talking about it, really openly expressing our feelings about it. And and that there's this tendency to just kind of want to look the other way and not really look at square in the eye and deal with it. So uh, as I started to notice these patterns, I started to think, well, why not use the same tools that I'm using to heal from sexual abuse? Why not use those same tools to help rewire myself in terms of how I think about the world and, and especially on issues of race and to release that, that inherent uh, generational misunderstanding and trauma that's there. Okay. Now, folks, I really want you to understand that this book is not um, a white guilt book or anything like that. This is a personal story of a man who went through a transformation process. He hold he doesn't hold back. Um, he talked about the sexual abuse and his, I remember reading in the book about the murder um, that you talk about here on air. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, it's a wonder that when we met each other, if you hadn't done the work, I don't think we would have met each other. Or you would have completely ignored me when, yeah. you know, I came to your venue. I mean, so much healing has gone on with this. Now, you said that racism can be in the DNA. Is that why when, well, let me share a brief story. I grew up in Gilderland, sure. New York. And um, every now in Gilderland is Dutch community, um, very upscale bedroom community, still is today. Um, 
if I missed the bus to high school, we would wait and take the elementary uh, school bus because it eventually went to the bus garage, which was in a half a mile of the high school. And I remember, you know, getting up, we'd sit way in the back seat of the bus, you know, back seat of the bus. Hmm. But we'd sit in the back seat of the bus, and the kids that were going to elementary school, they saw it was usually me and my cousin Brenda who lived next door. There were two black figures, and they would not come more than halfway the bus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, what are these kids, what are they afraid of? You know, it just kind of blew my mind. And then I remember in fourth, fifth, and sixth grades, in my classroom, we had to move our chairs every day, our our desks, because somebody or many somebodies didn't want their little precious darling sitting next to the little dark girl. So Mm -hmm. is this, how how do we get past the DNA? I mean, it must be taught at some level in the household. Yeah. Go ahead. I think we we have to heal the that ancestral lines that that go back for generations. You know, I have I have a similar story to share. I, I'm just going to interject real quick oh, that um, there's a I'm movie that I've often shown to staff at Omega Institute, and it's not a it's not a movie that's really focused on issues of race. It's uh-huh. called What About Me. It was created by the the folks at One Giant Leap, and it's this beautiful movie about you know awakening. And there's this beautiful music with musicians from all around the planet. And there's one segment that goes for about 15 minutes where all you're seeing are these beautiful villages in Africa, right? So pretty much everybody in about this 15 minute segment is, is black. Uh And what I noticed, I've shown this film about 30 times, right? And Uh I noticed that always, always during that segment of the film, there would be a middle-aged white woman in the room that would get up and walk out. Ooh. It wasn't the same middle-aged woman each time. It was a different ah. woman each time. But every time, like almost like on cue, um, a white middle-aged woman would get out of the room and walk out during that 15-minute segment. And I often thought, because these weren't people who I would necessarily think of as being racist, but mm-hmm. I, I started to think, what's going on in our collective conditioning that was triggering that, that group of women to need to feel like they had to exit the theater at that point. That particular Repeatedly, time. repeatedly. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I started to feel like there's this collective conditioning that we're all uh, immersed in that I think many of us are not even conscious of uh, on many levels. Uh-huh. Well, here comes my prejudice. It must have been the Karens of the world. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And for those who are truly named Karen by their parents, my apologies. <laughs> Okay, so you wrote this book, this beautiful book, and you wrote it and released it now. I mean, you know, when Trump was running for office, um, that was a horrifying time for me and many um, mm-hmm. Black people, although he does have Black supporters. I want to put that out there. Um, all of his negative traits, just as a human being, forget being president of the United States, yeah. but the traits of the human being, it seemed to bring up a lot of the lower vibrational energies. I have had a record year in doing spirit depossessions where there's truly, you know, these evil mm-hmm. spirits or negative <laughs> spirits that attached. So why now? Why this book at this particular juncture in time? Yeah, so I, I just feel like it's it's a time when we need to 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 do our work. I think um, you know often I think certainly there's a, a collective energy that I think is doing wonderful work in terms of externally in terms of 
organizing and doing the work that needs to happen on the ground to change the rules, change the laws that happen in our in our in our in our uh, corporations, in our governments, in our institutions. But even even in that, uh, in my own family, which was very split because my parents were divorced when I was five, and mm-hmm. on my mother's side, they on the outside seemed like they were really liberal and very progressive, but on the inside there was all this mess. And mm-hmm. so what I what I've noticed and what I've seen is sometimes even even those people who who might on the external level seem like they're really, you know, uh, working for the light still uh-huh. need to do their inner work. And I also noticed that years later when I when I did my master's thesis, which was really kind of the, the first sort of spawning of this book many, many years ago in the late 1990s, I would be reading poems as part of my master's thesis around having witnessed the race-based murder when I was a child. Uh-huh. And um, even though my master's thesis went fine, when I would read those poems in certain open mics in the Bay Area, um, I ended up getting blacklisted <laughs> from certain readings and, and people calling me a white trash poet and wow. total like uh, censorship going on just because I was talking, I was talking about something that was evil, but I was just, my, my belief is, you know, you shed light on it and that's uh-huh. how, that's how you dissipate that kind of activity. So I was just simply shedding on, shedding light on something horrible that had happened and people didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want me to talk about it. Interesting, because the Bay Area can be pretty liberal and, and yeah. willing to listen um, yeah. to all sides. And um, but it's also a very interesting place when it comes to race. Now, um, you talk about the purpose of expressing multicultural gratitude. What is it and how do we express it? So one thing I've noticed over the years is, you know, how just a simple gratitude practice can really help rewire the brain. And so one of the exercises in the book is what I call multicultural gratitude, where a person will specifically write down 20 things per day that they are grateful for that exist outside of the lens of their specific culture. And the, mm-hmm. the, the intent of that is to try to rewire the brain to be more embracing, more grateful, more accepting of uh, you know people who look other than us. And one thing that I find really interesting is that, is that when I first started doing that exercise, I would, I would get tired. And uh-huh. I, I, to me, that's just another demonstration of what I call these, these kind of psychic grooves, or you think of like the morphogenetic field of 500 years of racism is like this invisible wall that exists around us that says, you know, don't be grateful for that culture, or don't be grateful uh-huh. for this person who looks different than you. And I really had to pay attention to that, that as I would do this exercise, I would, I was coming up against what I felt like was an invisible psychic wall Uh pushing back on me and making me actually extremely tired as I would do these exercises. And I, I no longer feel that sense anymore. I feel like I've moved through that, but it, for me, it was just another example of how, how much an energetic aspect of this racial equation is important for us to look at because I think there's all kinds of invisible things that we aren't even aware of that we need to take a look at. And that's one of them. Okay. You know, in your book, you share something that was kind of like near and dear to my heart because we kind of went through the same experience, but I wasn't working there. You talk about working at Quickway and Quickway Mm -hmm. for those that you don't know was a restaurant, chain of restaurants in Oakland, California. And they had one on East 14th street near 61st 
um, might have been 62nd a block up. I, I don't exactly remember, but my husband's niece at the time lived around the corner from that next door to the Black Panther School. So that was interesting within mm -hmm. itself. And then you also worked at their downtown location. And Quickway was cheap fried chicken and fries. I mean, for what, $1.50 or something like that, you get a half a chicken and a basket of fries. Greasy, but fantastically good. <laughs> okay. Um, and you share an experience of working there and not being accepted. And I would go as a customer and not be accepted. So why do you think that was? You were a white man and you're working, especially on the uh, 61st um, Street store. It was predominantly black and poor, but I was a black woman and I had the same huh. issues and feelings that you did. So. Wow. Explain to the people how you, well, you can give them more of that background if you want and how you felt in that environment as being the only white guy. Sure. I mean, for me, as, as the only white guy, a lot of it was, it was right during the, uh, the first Persian Gulf War. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of what I was feeling and what I would hear verbally too, was just a sense of resentment. People saying like, Hey, you know, um, you know, it's our sons that are going, going to fight this war. It's not people that look like you. And I was actually against the war, but that didn't seem to matter, um, you know, but I was I would just feel a lot of anger at me uh, as I was serving the customers and not so much from the, from the co-workers, but really okay. feeling it from the customers mm -hmm. intently. And I could I could also, you know, identify with it in the sense that um, I agreed with with some of what they were saying, um, but I but I, I just felt very much like I, I was the, uh, the, the person who, who was the object of their anger. And even though I agreed with the anger on some level, feeling that, that sense of kind of like an energetic sludge around myself each day as I would go home. And I also started to wonder in that, you know, if that's also what people of color feel on a larger scale all the time in terms of, especially if they're living in in communities where there's a lot of racial hatred, you know, are they having that kind of experience all the time? Whereas for me as a white man, I was experiencing it during that short time while I was there working, which was for several months. But I think it, even though it was an unpleasant experience, I think it also opened my heart to a sense of compassion for people who, who experience that every day, you know, regardless of where they're working, regardless of where they're living. Um, you know, one other thing that, that was important in my own evolution while I was working there, there was one time I was sent to a certain location that um, that my manager, who was a black woman, uh, mm -hmm. you know, said I had to go to this other location for a late night shift because they needed somebody. And I remember she gave me a twenty dollar bill and told me to take a cab home. Mm -hmm. uh, when I took the bus there, um, you know, I was OK on the bus when I was at the at, at the at the location. It was very wild. There were there were kids like throwing you know milkshakes against the bulletproof window <laughs> and stuff. And in my own mind, I also kept thinking, you know, yeah, this feels kind of crazy. But at the same time, if these were white kids throwing milkshakes at a at a window, would I feel like I needed to take a cab home? And so I actually didn't take a cab home that night. I remember just uh -huh. going out and sitting at the bus stop and just paying attention to my breathing and just kind of watching the lights, uh -huh. you know. Um, and just tuning into spirit or God, if you want to think of it that way, and just feeling like, you know, these are just other people. I'm, I don't feel any direct threat. I, in my own personal life, I've been abused, sexually abused, uh, violated by people who were white. 
I don't mm-hmm. feel afraid when a white person is crossing the street <laughs> next to me. So why, why am I projecting all this, you know, onto people who are black? Why do I feel mm-hmm. like I should feel afraid, you know, in a black neighborhood, even, even if it may feel a little bit wild. And, and so in that night, I felt like it was a real important step for me in my own evolution. Like, you know, I don't need to take a cab home. There's other people who are riding the bus and I'll ride the bus with them. And, um, you know, and talk and so about I, 18 bucks. <laughs> well, no, I, I actually gave the $20 back to, back to oh, me. When I got, okay. They got there the next day mm-hmm. and that I, that I took the bus. And so, um, it was just an important lesson for me, I feel, you know? Yeah. Well, it was interesting because she was asking you to go into a situation which she felt may be dangerous for you later on, but she was also yeah. offering a way of protection at the yeah. same time. And you just decided to be you and step right out there. So, I mean, how, how, how can you get better than that by just being yourself? Yeah. You, know, you just can't. Um, folks, we're speaking with Brett Bevel. We're talking about his latest book, Healing Racism Within a Lightworker's Guide. You can check him out at his website. That's brettbevel.com, B-R-E-T-T-B-E-V-E-L-L.com. Brett, folks, is a fantastic Reiki master. I'm a Reiki master teacher, but, you know, Brett, I think he's like the the king of them all. His um, transmissions are extremely strong, whether in person or virtually or whatever. Um, When I did go to the talk that he was at, I saw three of my Reiki students there. And I was like, yay, because I'm glad you're able to reach out and connect um, with Brett. So, Brett, how did your Reiki training help you heal the trauma of this racial conditioning that we're all going through? Sure. So, I mean, first of all, I think with, with even just the attunements in Reiki, that it changes your energetic vibration. And when I was getting my, my first attunement, I think um, that really helped me in, in coping with a lot of the memories that I had as a child, you know, not just about the, the, the murder I had witnessed that mm-hmm. that was important, you know, in terms of the, the emotional, baggage that I was carrying a lot of it was was released shortly after my first degree attunement Mm -hmm. and then also just in terms of my own you know sexual abuse issues I was also releasing a lot of that but for me you know your your vibration is getting higher and higher with each attunement so that's just the attunement alone but also uh doing the self-healings helping to relax the mind relax the nervous system relax the brain allows one to tune in at a deeper level but mm-hmm. the second degree is where I think it really gets more important because there's a symbol there for mental, emotional healing. And I really, you know, I encourage anybody who's attuned already to the second degree of Reiki to just make a practice, uh, even if it's once a week of just doing a session on yourself where you're intending to use that mental, emotional symbol to work on any, any conditioning that you might have that you're mm-hmm. conscious of or unconscious of that may have to have to do with issues around race to help release that conditioning. And in my own evolution with Reiki, I've also developed some techniques that are beyond traditional training, something I call psychic Reiki. Uh-huh. And in the book, we explore how to use these the psychic Reiki techniques to clear the uh, ancestral lines, to clear the negative conditioning we may have received from our grandparents or great-grandparents or release any trauma that's there. There's also a way you can use what's called the Reiki crystal, which is an energetic crystal made out of the light of Reiki to bring you into a deep Reiki meditation, to just ask it to bring into your awareness, anything Uh that may be um, that you're biased to or blind to that you need to look at. And so you can use it in that way as well. So there's certainly a lot of ways that you can use Reiki to help shift 
what's going on with the kind of conditioning that lives in our our emotional bodies, our mental bodies, and even in our karmic bodies regarding issues around race. Um, yeah, and you know what, folks? It doesn't matter what color, stripe, <laughs> whatever you are. There's always something for all of us to be working on regarding people who appear to be different from us. You know, because it's just a shell. I mean, our, once we leave Earth, our soul goes to wherever it's going to go. But we have a certain shell while we're here, and we've come in to learn certain lessons within that shell. And I think the biggest one is, you know, it's like love and compassion. Look at everything that Brett has gone through. You know, I mean, to be a young child, I think you were 10, right? When you witnessed the murder. And I mean, that, that had to be horrific because I went through something at 16 where, you know, well, long story short, I saw a body being placed in the garbage can. Um, didn't see the murder, but saw the body placed in. The, and sometimes even still today, and I'm on damn near 70, it's like, whoa, you know, I haven't healed that yet. I'm working with it with your techniques. But how do you truly just get past the energy of like seeing that and the mixed emotions of feeling it, it just it, it seems hard so is there like one technique in your book that you use that was more pronounced than the others to help you process that I mean, really, I mean, for me, I, 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 even though the, the book has a number of techniques ranging from you know, Tonglen Buddhist meditations to the gratitude work to art therapy work, um, for me, it's really been the energy healing that I feel has cleared, cleared my energetic body the most. Uh -huh. So really going and just making a very committed practice of always trying to work on those mental, emotional issues that I feel are existing in myself. Uh -huh. Also working on the karmic body to work on clearing, you know, the, the, the karma of my ancestors as well, uh, including my, you know, my parents. Uh -huh. um, so that's certainly been an important part of it. I do have to just say, you know, in, in terms of that specific, the murder that I witnessed, it was actually when I was a toddler. Oh, uh, okay. And a, a big part of the healing with that happened during my, my master's thesis, where uh -huh. my master's thesis was a, a, a basically a ritual that involved me uh, reciting poetry about that issue, also doing an honoring of the spirit of the person who had been murdered. So doing kind of a ritual with sound and candles and, and then, and then also following that by attuning everybody in the audience to Reiki and asking them to bring that light out into the world in honor of that person whose life had been taken and I really felt like that that ritual was probably worth th thousands of dollars of therapy for me. I literally had a hard time talking for the next three weeks because I felt like my brain was being so radically rewired by uh -huh. the power of that event that it was, even though I tend to be really good with my words as a writer, <laughs> I would have a hard time just simply saying the most basic things because my brain was going through such a radical transformation. Uh -huh. um, but if, again, if I had to pick any one thing, I would say it's been energy healing uh, Reiki and other forms of energy healing that re have really radically uh, transformed that space for me and just allowing me to get again just reawaken into that space of of you know once once you clear your energetic filters of that trauma of that pain uh, then you can you can get back into seeing that place of the oneness of everything but I think it's important to pay attention to actually clearing clearing those those pains and traumas first rather than mm -hmm. trying to just spiritually bypass it and just say, oh, we're all one. I don't need to look at the pain and trauma. I think <laughs> yeah, you do no. need to look at the pain and trauma. I think that's yeah. important. To, to that, that, that's where our work is, right? Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when you were talking um, intuitively, I received some information that as you were working through your healing, the person who was murdered received a healing and forgiveness was offered. I mean, like, wow, you know, so not only do we work on ourselves, we work, you know, past and present, but we can even affect others and their lineage. So great, great job. Um, Book, you talk about the Maharishi effect. What is that? So the Maharishi effect is uh, based on a, an experiment that was done with some some uh, people from uh, Maharishi University, which is trained by the Mahi, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, where they would uh, meditate on certain cities in the U.S. and they would literally visualize uh, the crime rate going down. I believe one of the cities uh-huh. that they, that they tracked this in was in Washington D.C., where they would meditate on certain specific days. And they started to, to uh, l- literally track the statistics and that went during those times when they were meditating and seeing more peace and trying to bring the crime rate down in those cities, that the crime mm-hmm. rate actually went down. So it's this idea that, that energetically, whether it's through prayer, meditation, energy healing, ritual, other forms of, you know, just putting energy out into the world, that a group of indi- individuals can impact the collective whole through meditation, prayer, and, and energetic work. So uh, does it have to be a large group? It doesn't have to be a large group. No. So I think, you know, as, as people who are aligned with this work, start to do more and more work on themselves and also send healing out into the world, send healing to dissolve those energetic walls that exist between us, that I, I do believe it will have a greater impact on society as a whole in a very positive way. Boy, we need to get together and do some work on, um, each and every state, but maybe Washington, D.C. to start and go outward from there, because uh, we're in trouble. People don't realize, <laughs> I mean, forget the politics and all that. I mean, we've got the air to worry about, the lack of water. Uh, it, it's just crazy how we've, I don't know, killed Mother Earth or almost killed her, but now we want to go to Mars and start all over again. <laughs> We haven't learned the lessons of Earth, but that's a whole different show. Um, You talk about the wound that we cannot see. What is that? So to me, the wound we cannot see is is that 500 plus years of uh, colonial pain and trauma that I think specifically as as a white person, my experience is that for many years, I I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's many people who um, you know, who I've known on my own journey, who, who will still often just have kind of have the blinders on and not want to look at it. When I really first saw it actually was when, when I started getting, uh, banned as a poet in the Mm. late 1990s. And I realized all these poets who on the outside seemed very progressive, right. Uh Who seemed, you know, they would often want to be quoting Martin Luther King and Malcolm X in their poems, but yet there was this sense of like, we don't want to look at, at the pain of what you're talking about in your poetry. Uh, that's what they were saying to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I started to wonder, well, what's that really about? Is there some greater wound? Like, you know, when we look at our ancestors, right? When we look at the pain of genocide, of, of the rape and trauma that happened for uh, slaves over mm-hmm. many, many generations. When we look at that and we realize, well, who did that? I'm not saying that, that every white person's ancestors did that, but collectively as a whole, as a society, we did that. And so mm-hmm. I think, 
I think there's an energetic wound there. There's a, there's a, uh, I don't want to say the word guilt because I think that can get uh, too messy and too guilt ridden, but I uh-huh. think there's a pain there that we should look at and that we should digest it and that we should honor it and find ways to trans transmute it and transform it and get beyond it so that we can then come into a place of acknowledging what happened in the past and also doing whatever kind of uh, whatever we need to do to rectify that. So, you know, in mm-hmm. my own, in my own journey as a healer, I've found that um, that really owning your stuff <laughs> is important, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, owning up to, to your faults is important. So for me, I think it's important to own up to the faults of my ancestors and to, to try to make amends for that in whatever way I can. And so I feel that collectively as a society, I feel that we haven't done that and that it's important work for us to do. I agree. And folks, he's just not talking about faults of ancestors on the white side. Okay. It was very prevalent in the black community for the older black men to rape the young girls, whether it was their child, their niece, their grandchild. And unfortunately, it still goes on today. It's not as prevalent as it was, say, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but it's still out there. Okay. Know from personal experience, it's still out there. So please don't take um, the information being shared today is, you know, white bashing or white shaming, because it's not, it's for all of us to have an understanding and to move forward from. Um, what benefit do you think people will get out of reading this book? And folks, it's a short read. You can read it in a day. Um, you'll need more time to go back and do the exercises, of course. And they're worth doing because um, it allows you to look at yourself. But Brett, what, what benefit do you feel people will get from at least ingesting the words? Yeah, well, I think certainly uh, the benefit of all, there's a number of different tools. I, you know, I, I intentionally, even though my primary focus is energy healing, there's a lot of different ways that one can engage this book from different art therapy tools to meditation tools. Um, and again, energy work tools. So I think certainly getting a, a, a bag of tools with which to start to chip away at the 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 energetic conditioning that I think we are all collectively subject to. Mm-hmm. I often like to, to use the analogy of of uh, like pollution, right? I feel like that that racism is kind of like a, an energetic pollution that exists in our society. And no matter no matter where you live today, right? Wh- whatever water you're drinking, that water probably has some plastic in it. It probably has some mm-hmm. that are not too good for you. And I think the same is true in terms of wherever we were raised, no matter what color we are, that our society has been polluted with toxic racist beliefs and concepts. And that this book gives us the tools to help filter out and release that from our consciousness so that we can be better human beings and so that we can hopefully create a better world for for our kids and, and for future generations. Yeah, folks, it's all about letting go of the BS, and that is belief system. Um, Fred, it's been a delight having you. What pearl of wisdom would you like to offer the audience today? Um, just that we all have a light that, exi- that exists inside of us, and to just let it shine, let your light shine. And that also includes helping to release any barriers that are inhibiting that light. So just let your light be bright and let it shine. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, folks. We've been speaking with Brett Bevel. His latest book is Healing Racism Within, A Lightworker's Guide. Go to his website. You'll get all information on his other books and the work that he's doing. If you're in um, the New York area and you want to take classes with him or, you know, be in his presence, do, because um, it is life-changing. Okay life-changing. I read, I never told you this, but I'm going to share this with you. When um, I was on the way over to your book, um, I had a panic attack. I don't know where I'm driving down um, 880 crossing 237. I had to pull over to the side of the road and wait until it um, passed. And then once I was in your presence and you hugged me and we talked very briefly before your talk, everything just calmed down. And I don't think you knew that, like, I was going crazy inside <laughs> when I first talked to you. But it was interesting. But, folks, this interview is really good. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Greg, from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for having me on your show. Oh, no problem. You're welcome back anytime. And, folks, um, who are listening, I am truly honored and I appreciate your time and attention. So thank you for tuning in. And everybody, please remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of healing racism within. Above the blessings, light and love to all. Agape. Agape.